This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, I'm Scott Soshnick. And I'm Evan Novi williams And this is the Hotter Ticket Than Taylor Swift sports business podcast, The Sportacast. Wait, what's a hotter ticket than Taylor Swift? That is a preview, Scott, of the interview that is coming up uh, at the end of this show. I sat down with Gary Stoken, the CEO and president of the Peach Bowl. We were talking about a lot of things. He has Georgia in the college semifinal in the Peach Bowl on December 31st. He said the tickets are going crazy. He actually was able to score Taylor Swift tickets for his family, and he said that his game is a harder ticket to get right now than Taylor Swift tickets. Do we believe that? Because, I mean, when you think of size of venue and everything, Taylor Swift is obviously many venues around the country. This is one game, fixed number of seats in one building. Yeah, I don't want to step on Gary too much. He um, he said that Georgia sold out their allotment in a day. Ohio State sold out their allotment in, I think, a day and a half or something like that. His argument was also that when Taylor Swift plays a stadium, there's more seats available because she can fill the infield. And at the Peach Bowl, obviously, you can't feel the infield. They're playing on it. Uh, so part of his argument was it was a little bit of a supply and demand thing. But it's an interesting talk. We got into all the economics of the college football playoff, and that will air uh, a little bit later in, in this episode for folks who are curious. New great idea for Jerry Cardinal in the XFL. What? Random seats on the field. <laughs> <laughs> on the field? On the field. You said the infield. Yeah. How about four? Randomly placed seats, fans get to sit on the field during the game, and players have to obviously avoid them. Oh, man. Mike McCann somewhere yeah. <laughs> having, a, having a conniption about the, the small legal language you need at the bottom of that ticket. To do well, I, I love this, though. I really do love this, Evan, because here's like a, a just on a, on a macro level when we say, oh, sports is entertainment, and you hear owners say, well, we compete with everything, movie theaters, Broadway, you know, we compete with everything in entertainment. So the, uh, the Soshnik family went the cultured route. We didn't do a, a hockey game. Uh, this week, we did Hamilton last night. Another hard ticket. Another difficult ticket. Luckily, we have some friends who are connected to the show, and I paid full freight. But we did see, uh, we did sit. Uh, I was like, I don't know, tenth, twelfth row orchestra. Mm. So awesome. Brought the focus group of one. Uh, my wife and I were both betting. We, I mean, obviously, we know what kind of kid is that he would really enjoy it. Went the other way. Didn't didn't love it. He just just was like, I don't know whether it was too long. You know, it's two hours and 45 minutes with the intermission. Yeah. Whether he was tired from the night before because it's a break in school, staying up late and then doing the 7 p.m. show. I tried for the matinee. It was, it was sold out. But that the point is still selling out the Richard Rogers Theater. I, and I don't know when 
when was it where this was like the hottest ticket around? How many years ago? Six years ago, probably. Right, exactly. When, when, when it debuted. Still, yeah. Still. And the woman in front of me from DC uh, brought her daughter up and this was her fourth time seeing it. Like, I, I'm trying to think of another production. I mean, other than like Grateful Dead shows where people go a hundred times and, you know, follow fish around the country. But who goes to see, even if you gave me the opportunity to see a sporting event over and over and over, I don't know if I'm going back four or five, six. And there are people who keep coming back for more. And it goes to what I say to you, because all of these have music. You know, they're the same. Theaters are relatively the same. But what Lin-Manuel Miranda has, they like that little, the way I, Miranda, has managed to do (laughs) is create something totally Different, hundred uh, percent. I mean, to have to have kids wanting to learn about U.S. history because they can do it through. Ra- I mean, think about if you. This is almost one of the things that you and I would come up with sitting at the desk. You know what would be cool? How about a rap battle between Thomas Jefferson <laughs> and Al- you know Alexander Hamilton about fiscal policy, a la you know Eight Mile and uh, Eminem style, right? That would be pretty cool. And he did it, mm-hmm. and it worked. And it's just a, a different offering. They made the in arena, so to speak, experience so much different than everybody else that it's so compelling. And that's why people are coming four, five, six times. And they're still selling out the Richard Rogers Theater. I agree with everything you just said. I am surprised that, that the focus group of one did not like I'm it. Shocked. it. It seems like a way more accessible musical than almost anything that has come out recently for kids of his generation. Yeah, I'm blaming I'm blaming 50% of it on fatigue. Really he had he had a sleepover before that, back to back. Oh dad, it's 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 holiday break, winter break. I can stay up until 1 in the morning kind of deal, you know. I I just I could see on the train ride into the city the yawning started. Hmm. And I was like, uh-oh. Um uh, so I'm going to blame 50% on like give give it a, a good night's sleep and a fresh matinee. I think we'll have a different outlook, but not. it wouldn't be like, ooh, let's go see more. Like, I don't think the swing is that big. It would be, oh, I enjoyed that. Like, maybe I'll sample again, but I don't know. I don't know where they're segued and everything, but uh, yeah, a lot of people want to see this college football championship game. I wonder if my boy Whit Clay, a uh, college friend of mine, works in sports now, big Georgia fan. Like, once you've won, I've already said it, once you've won the championship, it's like, eh, is it really fun being the hunted again mm. and again and again? Are they the new Alabama? Oh, I think it's fun. <laughs> I don't know what he said, but my <laughs> guess them. is that my guess is that it's fun. Yeah, they're they're undefeated. Them and Michigan, I believe, are the only two undefeated teams in the country. They're both favored in their semifinals. So unless something goes 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 significantly different to plan, it seems like we're going to have a an undefeated showdown between Michigan and Georgia in 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 the championship. Um, yeah, this is a. I think this is a. It's too early to say if Georgia's the new Alabama. But you'll notice Alabama isn't any of the four teams that are playing. This is a this is obviously not the uh, was not the expectation at the beginning of the season. Um, but Georgia being this good, you know, the, and and it's going back to the business stuff, Scott. They are they are exactly next to Alabama and next to Michigan and next to Ohio State in almost all of the big categories that we think about. Whether it is money from ticket sales, whether it is what they pay their coach, whether it's what they spend on recruiting, whether it's overall revenue, travel costs. Georgia is as about as blue blood a program as you can have alongside some of these other ones. So they definitely belong, obviously, and certainly to have a, another team in the SEC that is seems like year in, year out going to be at Alabama's level is a good thing for the conference and it's a good thing for college football. Did we ever do, I don't know why this is ringing around my head, but did we ever do a story on the business of UGA? 
No, so no. We, we did the did, pool, right? Did we Bevo? We did. Something? Emily, Karen, our colleague, did a great story last year about live mascots, uh, right? Specifically about the the cost. Yeah, what, what it takes to yeah. feed the tiger at LSU, what it takes to feed the tiger two lions at at Northern Alabama. Uh, yeah, it's it's a really interesting look, and and the, the various ways that there are foundations that are set up that that pay for themselves, they raise their own money, etc. But the, the the economics behind live mascots are really interesting. I I would bet that Uga is is on the cheap side. Yeah, I would because Uga, dog, Uga eats yeah. dog food. I think I, I assume unless, unless I'm sure crazy is going. I'm sure he's got some kind of you know good sirloin. You know, yeah, not not, not uh, crap. Mike the tiger probably eats uh, in in two days what Uga eats. Wagyu, like, like, yeah, like only the months, best Wagyu but, for the tiger. Exactly, but uh, yeah, great great mascot as well. All right, you know what story I, I saw the other day that, or well, saw it this morning actually. I don't even know when it was published, but it, it kind of goes to the business of college sports now. The quarterback from Georgia. Stetson Bennett the fourth. Yep. You know how old he is? Uh, I'm going to bet that he's a bit older than he's played on a bunch of teams. I would bet yeah, he's older think than he, I think like he is. You would say 22, 23. Uh, yeah, I would have said 24, but yeah. Okay, right he's 25. Yeah. Like he's the same age as Deshaun Watson. That's crazy. And, and I'm sitting here like, listen, being, I understand being a, a national champion quarterback at, at, at Georgia or any institution probably sets you up well in life. You know, if he doesn't play at the next level, you, you don't have to ever pay for a drink again in Georgia. You probably get plenty of alumni willing to give you a job. But I'm like, you're 25 years old. I'm trying to extrapolate. I, he's 25, year six, still playing. And I saw, what's his name? Dylan St. Cyr is a goaltender at... Uh, yeah, you like this? Oh. You like where I'm going with this? <laughs> yeah, go. So I'm watching, I'm watching Michigan, Michigan State the other day play ho- a hockey game. And I, and I see, you know, the name, I see St. Cyr in that, and, and my head says, this must be the younger brother of the kid I used to watch. And it turns out, you know, it's Manon Rayom's son. Oh, so I thought, okay. I'm like, oh, maybe she has another kid, you know, and he's a goal. And then the announcer, just as it's bouncing around my head, the announcer says, oh, well, in his sixth season, <laughs> you know, he started at Notre Dame, transferred to Quinnipiac, didn't beat out the starting goaltender. Now he's at Michigan State. Like, I mean, this is a little more par for the course in, in college hockey where they want you to like repeat a grade in high school. Then they want you to go play junior and you, and you go off as a, as a 20 or 21 year old freshman, which I think is, you know, crazy. But hey, if you want to make hockey your life, great. But it's just so stunning to me. Like he's 25 years old. I, I did not realize. And I just wonder how much more we might have of this with the NIL world. And, you know, you don't have to leave and you, you can really set yourself up well. And, well, here, and by the way, just from a, an athletic standpoint, how similar his thinking is to my focus group of one when he's in the net. You ready for this quote from the story? Mm-hmm. I would catch myself on first and 10 thinking about their third and medium blitz. He said, blah, blah, blah. You start to get pissed off. Like, why do I still suck? (laughs) That is exactly how my focus group of one, like he will be in the first period playing great. And after the game, he'll tell me, well, after this shot, I was wondering like, if if it's still zero, zero in the third period, you know, what do I have to? And I'm like, why are you thinking about the third period? Just stop the puck. And it sounds like it's, you know, in these elite athletes uh, and I will for H13 group my my idiot in that there, you know, (laughs) for what he's doing right now. Uh, I mean, it's funny to see other people who think that way and they had to kind of retrain his brain to just don't think, stay in the moment. And now he says his secret to success is he throws to the open man. Hmm. Seems pretty good for a quarterback. That's a wise way to go. And it's the same thing I try and tell my fool. Just stop the puck. That's it. Don't think about anything else. Stop the puck. That's your job. Well, folks can watch Stetson Bennett play against Ohio State in the Peach Bowl on December 31st, and that's a good way to transition, Scott. Let's go right now to me talking to Gary Stokin, the CEO and president of the Peach Bowl. 
All right. I am pleased to welcome back to the show, Gary Stoken, the president and CEO of the Peach Bowl, one of this year's semifinal games. Gary, how are we doing down in Atlanta? Evan, how are you? Great to see you again. Good to be with you and thanks for having us. I'm excited for this and I'm excited for your game. 8 p.m. Eastern, number one, Georgia, number four, Ohio State. I know your games are always big. This one's a semifinal. How excited are you when you see the matchup and you see uh, that Georgia team, <laughs> the, the local favorites uh, in the uh, in the Peach Bowl? Well, it's interesting. This is the third time we've hosted the CFP semifinal at the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. And each year we've had number one uh, against number four. So we had Alabama in 16, number one. We had LSU in 19, number one. And this year, Georgia, number one. So uh it's, it's a lot of excitement down here, primarily because you're talking about two of the biggest brands in college football in Georgia and Ohio State. And both are uh, uh, not only just great to work with from, you know, Ryan Day and Kirby Smart to Josh Brooks and to Gene Smith, um, but the fans are really, really excited. I mean, we've, we've gone back and uh, we've added the expandable seats that uh, Mercedes-Benz has. We've uh, added 2,800 standing room only seats. Uh, the fire marshal had to call time out on us and put a halt <laughs> to any more seats. So, uh, and I've had to tell people about it, list as long as both my arms that I don't have any tickets for them. So it's, it's crazy. I saw a list last week of the secondary ticket demand uh, by bowl game and the Peach Bowl, I guess, unsurprisingly, w- was blowing everybody else out of the water, which I assume is a good metric for how all of the business around your game is going to go at the end of the year. Well, and it's great for us, too, because, you know, talking business, we uh, we struck a deal with Prolific One where we were able to do a sponsorship deal plus uh, sell them tickets plus get an upside on the backside. So. Mm. That's the way of the world now. I'm not one for buying many tickets because I don't go to many events, but the secondary markets now become the primary market, as we all know. Yeah, so let's dive into that because I, I, a lot of our listeners are, are very well familiar with the way bowl games, they exist and, and, and a little bit about their business, but I think they might be a little surprised about how all the inner workings work. So let's start with tickets, Gary. You uh, you mentioned the, the expanded capacity. How many people are going to be there um, at the game? 75,000? You know, probably somewhere in the 79,000 um, area for the game, which will, be, will break our own record. Our record... In Mercedes-Benz Stadium is 78,347, I think, with LSU, Oklahoma. And that's more than the SEC championship or Super Bowl. So mm. we'll break the Mercedes-Benz record as well as our own record. And in that setup, how, how many of those tickets are you guys allowed to sell? How many are there allotted to, to the teams that are there? What's the breakdown of, of how those get distributed? Yeah, Evan, uh, the breakdown, we give 13,000 tickets to each school. So Georgia sold out their tickets in one day. Ohio <laughs> State sold theirs out in two days. That tells you how interesting uh, people are for the game. Um, then we, we uh, give the PSL holders of Mercedes-Benz Stadium the right to buy their ticket. Mm. Uh, and then you have everything from sponsor tickets to comp tickets. to uh, We'll have 11 high school bands that will play in our parade and have a competition that will come to the game. Uh, you've got the conference tickets, ESPN tickets. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, uh, we sold out in July knowing <laughs> that, you know, we were going to have a, a semifinal and then the two teams, you know, 
sell us out completely once we announce the two teams. It sounds like you're talking about a Taylor Swift concert with the, uh, <laughs> with the yeah, numbers you know, you're talking I, about. I, I had to get Taylor Swift tickets for my daughter and, uh, I, I can't believe the the uproar on that. That's that's kind of amazing. What's a harder ticket a night before the event? The uh, Peach Bowl semifinal with Georgia playing, or uh, or a Taylor Swift concert? Well, I think our ticket's probably tougher because we got less tickets. Taylor Swift's got the whole floor and plus the whole stadium. So, um, yeah, I'm not a Swifty, but uh, <laughs> I think we may have a beat on this one. There you go. Good for you. Okay, so let's go beyond tickets. Uh, sponsorship, obviously, another big piece of the uh, of, of the Peach Bowl business. Uh, Chick Fil A. Most people, I think, know the the big one. I know you've got a number of others. You just mentioned one. Walk us through the the sponsorship portfolio, and 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 particularly interested in 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 what ESPN's role is in all of that. I think a lot of yeah. sports fans don't quite realize how involved ESPN is beyond just the media. Yeah, it's a really interesting business model. Obviously, us, the Fiesta Bowl and the, and the Cotton Bowl, are part of the CFP Bowl games. So our contract's directly with the CFP, where the Rose has a contract with the Big Ten and the Pac-12. The Orange has a contract with the ACC, the Big Ten, Notre Dame, and the SEC. And the uh, Sugar Bowl has a contract with the Big 12 and the SEC. So that's kind of you start there. Because we are with contracted with CFP, ESPN controls 16 categories of sponsorship. So it's very limiting to us. The title sponsors of all the New Year's Six Bowl games have to make a huge media buy on ESPN, uh, number one. And then number two, they come to us and we provide them the tickets, the hospitality, the activation on site, uh, for a sponsorship, title sponsorship fee. Uh, and then you have to break down, okay, if let's say Mercedes-Benz this year, Mercedes-Benz is a sponsor with ESPN of the CFP, then if Mercedes-Benz wants to spend any money at the Peach Bowl, then they have to directly contact us. And in this case, this year they are spending with us. They're going to do, and I believe it's the first augmented reality Hmm. TV spot that's going to be played in college football this year will be Mercedes-Benz EQ spot will be in the uh, Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl, not only on TV, but we're going to play it in our stadium, which is kind of cool. People have to go to our app and uh, they'll be able to watch the uh, augmented reality TV spot. But um, so sponsorship on our side is tough because those categories, as you can imagine, they're all the top, you know, car um, you know, fast Snack food, food yeah. obviously. So it's it's tougher to get sponsors to come in um, unless they're actually sponsoring CFP through the ESPN TV buy. I was going to ask, is that does that make things easier for you or more difficult that that you don't have to worry about those things? ESPN is going to to do them, or or would you rather sit every year or, or be able to sell yeah. the full suite of of, of assets? Yeah, because we have the uh, kickoff games, you know, where we control all the inventory, we'd much pre- rather prefer that because mm. we can sell, you know, the, the sponsorships on our own. We still do sell sponsorships to, you know, our game, but it's it's a limited capacity because they they take up so many categories, right? So, uh, and, and rightfully so. I mean, they spent, what was it, 12 uh, or $7.3 billion over 12 years. 
they've got to make their money back. So we understand that. And they've been great partners with us. I, I do want to ask you about the a few ways in which the, the expanded playoff, what that means for your business. But but a good way to start there, I think, is is exactly what you're talking about, about ESPN's role here. It seems pretty clear that in an expanded playoff, there, there's a good chance, at least, that ESPN is not going to be the only big media partner that the college football playoff has. How much do you think the the economics of the whole bowl system and especially the playoff system change when there's a bit more competition and maybe when there's multiple, multiple, not just ESPN media partners that, that have a stake in the thing? Yeah, that's a great question, Evan. Number one, you know, ESPN has been a great partner for us, great partner for our kickoff games, our bowl game and in our history, 25 years I've been doing this. Um, and they've been a great partner for college football. Um, I think what CFP is looking at into the future is looking at bringing on multiple uh, TV partners. Number one, because obviously there's the financial reward in that because there's competition. Secondly, I think they're looking for more people to promote the game uh, throughout the year, which the expanded playoff will allow in October, November. Teams still being having an opportunity to play in the expanded playoff. Whereas right now, if you've got one or two losses, you know, no team in nine years has ever made the CFP with two losses. So you're kind of out of the mix. Uh, so I think that's a good thing that there'll be more money there uh, with additional TV partners. Number two, there'll be additional promotion for the game and uh, all that is good. So I see it as a plus. Uh, it's the way of the world. Um, and I think that money will trickle down, whether it's student athletes in some form or fashion, the schools, the universities, et cetera. Walk me through, if I'm either Georgia or Ohio State, what the economics are for me playing in this game uh, at, at the yeah. end of the year. What, what, the, what the payout is, I assume traveling expenses are covered. What does it look like financially for them? Yeah, we pay each team $6 million. Uh, typically, $2 million is built in for travel and transportation of your administration, staff, team, et cetera. Obviously, Georgia is going to make a lot more money. <laughs> yeah, it makes, makes it easier it. for them. Yeah, uh, if they win, they'll spend a lot more money because they got to go to LA. Um, but uh, yeah, it's six million per team, and um, you know, even then, when you're starting to talk about what the ramifications are, you know, we've done proof of evidence that if you can win a national championship, um, the best marketing for your school is a successful athletic program because the donations, the, the merchandise sales, the enrollment and applications go up exponentially. I think when, when Nick Saban got to Alabama, their enrollment was, uh, I think, 20,000. Their enrollment's up to 40,000 now. And I, I talked to somebody like a week ago, and he was telling me, yeah, there's, there's, um, uh, they were in San Diego. They said, yeah, my son and two of his friends are going to Alabama because they want to be a part of co big time college football. And I'm like, from San Diego to going to Alabama because, <laughs> and that's one of the main reasons they made their decision is to be on a campus of a big time college football program. So you can see where, you know, successful athletic programs done right. And I say done right because I've done the analysis as well. If you're on probation, the enrollment goes down, the applications go down, the merchandise hmm. goes down. So there's definitely a correlation between successful athletic programs 
Uh, no doubt about it. How big is a, is a traveling contingent for, uh, oh, Georgia's easier because they're driving, but is Ohio State sending 150 people? Is it is it way more than that? I'm curious well, what, that, what that, that looks like. Yeah, they'll have more than that. Um, you know, they'll probably have somewhere on uh, north of 250 people, I would think. Wow. Um, and, um, you know, having a hospitality room for them. We feed them three meals a day. Um, you know, we have all kinds of games and activities. Um, you know, we – we want to make this a memorable experience for the fans, for the media, and, and most of all, for the players. How has name, image, and likeness, NIL deals, how has that, has it changed your approach at all? Does it change what, what, what you're doing with your corporate partners? How different is this game with NIL versus two years ago when, when athletes were not allowed those rights? Yeah, it's interesting. We have not gotten into the NIL. Uh, I don't think that's part of the CFP right now. I don't know if it'll be in the future going forward in 26 with the new contracts. Um, you know, I had funny, I had people saying uh, last year, you know, when we had Pitt, Michigan state and Kenny Walker and uh, Kenny Pickett dropped out of the game because they had number one draft cards uh, and, and, you know, potential $20 million signing bonus, which is generational money. And they were both banged up, uh, you know, throughout the year and really at the end of the year as well. So, you can understand that, but people were calling me saying, well, why don't you get Chick-fil-A to give them $50,000 NIL money to play in your game? And I said, listen, $50,000 versus a $20 million <laughs> signing bonus, don't, don't uh, register with an agent, a family, and the, and the player. So, you know, I don't think that would work. Um, but, you know, it's a way of the world right now. I, unfortunately, I'm a little old school. I, I can understand NIL but it's not NIL the way it was meant to be, right? Mm. It's gotten into pay for play and that's, that's wrong. That's not, that's the unintended consequences. You can now see coaches poaching other players who aren't in the transfer portal. You know, I heard some stories when I was in Las Vegas for the national football foundation. And I, my belief is the collectives should be there for the 99% of the kids that don't go on to play pro football. Yeah. Right. Because those kids, let's get them a degree and then let's get them a job. That's what we should be doing is the college experience. Not many pro football, not professionalizing sports at the collegiate level. Um, and that those so those donors and that uh, collective money, those alumni, that that money should be for those. And that should be for volleyball players, baseball. It doesn't matter what sport. If we're the college experience of athletics. Let's get the kid an opportunity to get a degree because some of those kids wouldn't be able to without athletic talent. And then secondly, let's let's uh, give them the opportunity to get a degree and then get the degree and then get them a job. That's what we should be doing. Do you envision a future ever where you think that the Peach Bowl could be using the two star running backs or the two star quarterbacks in the month before the game to, to, to promote it? I mean, do you, do you think that that is something that, that you guys might dip into at some point? You know, right now, I think that's a it's it's a question to that remains to be seen. I, you know, we've been very blessed. We've sold out. You know, twenty two of the twenty five years I've been here, we just have a unique marketplace that's very very passionate about college football. We have uh, huge alumni bases living in Metro Atlanta, number one and number two of all the ACC and SEC schools. Uh, huge contingents of Ohio State grads here and Big Ten people. Uh, we're easy to get to and, and we're inexpensive to come to during the holidays, unlike mm -hmm. 
you know, some of the other markets, <laughs> New York, maybe yeah. destination cities, right? So, yeah. and we've got 13,000 hotel rooms downtown. So we just have all the right ingredients. If, if you're going to say, okay, what's the perfect city to put a bowl game in? We're going to start this thing called bowl games in college football. Atlanta would be the the poster child for that. Got the Hall of Fame right next door as well. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You mentioned something earlier that I want to go back to because I think this is going to surprise a number of our listeners. You mentioned the Peach Bowl kickoff games that you guys do. I've written a bit about this. I've talked to you about this a lot. I think the business around these games is fascinating. First week or week zero of the season, uh, two huge, essentially you get two huge teams to come in. They're essentially bowl games at the start of the year. And economically, in some ways, they're, I won't put words in your mouth, they're they're bigger or just about as big as as the year-end games that you do. Walk us through the economics of the of, of the kickoff games that you do and how that compares to the games we see at the end of December. Well, thanks for that, Evan. Um, I, I would tell you, I've told my colleagues in the bull business that I believe, other than the New Year's Six, that you would be better off in putting a game together on the front side of the season and have a bowl on the front side of the season than a bowl game at the back side of the season. Hmm. And economically, it would work better for you. Fans. Why is that? Why does it make work better economically? Well, a couple of reasons. One is you're seeing a lot of kids opt out at the end of the year of a lot of these bowl games where you don't know who the quarterback is. Coaches leave. Right. Uh, what was it uh, in Boston? Uh, the Fenway Bowl. Both head coaches were gone. Right. Louisville and Cincinnati. Um, so and you had players opting out. So are the, what are the fans going to do? They're going to buy tickets to that. Do they want to follow that? Whereas if you put Louisville, Cincinnati at the beginning of this year, in, in, you know, in Atlanta or, you know, you know, pick a city uh, that's close by. Uh, geographically, they would have sold out. Two head coaches would have been there. All the players would have played, and you'd have done big TV uh, um, viewership. You know, it's interesting. When we started the uh, kickoff game format in 2007, when the NCAA legislated a 12th game to the schedule, prior to that, most teams were playing nondescript directional schools. TV viewership was way down. Attended started to get bad because you'd sit in 105 degree temperature and the score was 50 nothing at halftime. We put this into play and look what happened this year. Ohio State and Notre Dame played in the first week of the season. That that game, Florida State LSU, those two games and our Georgia Oregon game were three of the top 15 broadcasts mm. through week 11 of, of uh, college football this year. Why? Number one, they were high-ranked teams. Number two, people are dying to watch college football and to go to college football games in September because they haven't seen it in nine months. So, you know, I, I think it's, it's a – now, having said that, I think it's going to be more difficult to do because with conference expansion, with conferences probably having – you know, to play more conference games to up their TV revenues, you know, that inventory is going to shrink. And uh, the other thing is the ADs have started to say, okay, with a 12-team playoff, I can go play a big home-and-home contest and keep my season ticket base happy Mm because I got Texas coming to Alabama next year 
right? And so my season ticket revenues will stay up. And secondly, if I lose that game and I lose one game in the conference with two losses, I can still get into the top 12 and play in the, in the expanded playoffs. So, so I think for those reasons, you're going to see less and less inventory. We're blessed. You know, we've got Georgia and Clemson in 2024 to start the season. We'll, we'll have a quarterfinal game that year, and then we'll have the national championship at the end of that year. And then so- in 25, we've got Tennessee, Syracuse, Virginia Tech, South Carolina, and then we'll host another CFP semifinal. So we're kind of set for the next three years on our business model. And, you know, we're going to be very successful having great college football here in Atlanta. So, so Georgia gets paid, you said about $6 million for the semifinal this year. What do they get? What do they get for the, the kickoff game this year? Yeah, we paid them $5 million. So uh, very similar amounts of money to, to, to your and point about the business uh, similarities. They get to keep all that. Whereas yeah. that 6 million goes into pot with the conference. Mm. And so they take all their TV revenues and their bowl revenues and they split them 12 ways. So, or 14 ways. Well, yeah. So it's way more lucrative for the school itself to be playing in a, in a kickoff game at, at your spot than it is to technically to be playing in the semifinal. And, and I, I started this with Nick Saban. I said, Nick, you can make money, you know, playing in our game and then go do another neutral and you'll make money both years. So, Money-wise, you're making $10 million, let's say, over two years, right? You play a neutral or you play a home and home, you might make money and they don't make five, they don't net five million in a home game, trust me. Um, and then when you go away and play Texas away, you make nothing. So financially, a neutral neutral makes a lot more sense than going a home and home. It's funny, this is one of those ideas that everybody wins, right? Obviously, the, the you're getting the schools what they want making more money, higher profile. And obviously the fans, the, the biggest gripe I feel like I heard for so long was that the first two or three weeks of the college football season is no good. It's not interesting to your point before. And now you're right. You get these big matchups right at the start. The other thing that, that happens in college football is the CFP selection committee wins. Hmm. Because if you go back to 1718, Alabama number one played Florida State number three in our kickoff game. Alabama won the game did not win the SEC that year and got in because they played that tough non-conference game and won it. Georgia uh, in 21-22, right? They win the national championship. They did not win the SEC. Their first game was against number five Clemson. They beat Clemson 10-3, to and that got them in uh, into the CFP, and they wound up winning the national championship. Ohio State this year doesn't win the conference, Big Ten, they beat Notre Dame early in the year. That helped them get number four in the CFP. Yeah, I think that I think again, I think the kickoff, the, the whole structure and the business around these kickoff games is really interesting. Gary, we're running out of time, but I want to get you out on this. Some other big college sports news in the past few weeks. A new NCAA president, Massachusetts Governor Charlie Baker, will be taking over next year. I don't know if you've talked to Charlie, but if he called you and said, Gary, Give me one, one or two pieces of advice. What do you think I should be focusing on? What, what are the biggest concerns here? Uh, what, what would you tell the, the incoming NCA president? I would tell Charlie Baker, number one, you need a commissioner of college football, a commissioner of college basketball, men's and women's, a commissioner of baseball, and a commissioner of Olympic sports. And I would create a board that has two student athletes, two coaches, two ADs, and two commissioners. And I would have that board with that commissioner, create the vision of that sport 
where it needs to go, and I'll use football. What are we doing with Transfer Portal? What are we doing with NIL? What are we doing with the signing date? Um, because all these things in December are a problem. And, you know, uh, I, I hate to say this, but, you know, you, you just had a coach at 61 years old die of a heart attack, you know, not to say he died because of all that stress of what's going on in college football right now, but that certainly doesn't help. You look at these guys, you know, in coaching right now, and those guys aren't sleeping. You know, they got to put a bowl game together, right? <laughs> they got to re-recruit their own people. They got a transfer portal they're working with. It's a mess. They, they've they got to sit down and create a vision. And unfortunately, not to denigrate the presidents who are in charge of the NCAA, they don't know college football. They don't have the time to know college football. They can't. They don't want the blowback that goes with making decisions with college football. And so they can't create a vision of college football. And that's why we're in the mess we're in. I'll be honest. I am not envious of Charlie Baker. I do not think he's stepping into a, an, an easy role by any means. I think it's a great challenge. I, I admire him. I think uh, from what I've read about him, I don't know him. He's very politically acute. So, uh, you know, I, I just hope that instead of listening, he's got to listen to the presidents. They hired him, right? But he's got to go out and listen to people who are practicing in the sport and find out what the NCAA needs to do to support that particular sport and then change his structure. The structure definitely needs to change in the NCAA. Well, Gary, this was fun. We'll have you back on early in his tenure, and we can uh, we can talk more about all these things. That's Gary Stoken, the CEO and president of the Peach Bowl. Gary, thanks for joining us. Evan, always great to be with you. Thanks for what you guys do for sports, and particularly college sports. Thanks, Gary. All right, Evan, you know, great conversation, but it would be silly for me to have a final word since you, thank, thank you very much, by the way, for pinch hitting solo. Not always the easiest thing to do on a podcast, but absolutely great listen. So why don't you wrap us up since you're the one that did all the hard work? Yeah, I think that there's a lot of interesting things in there. The, the thing that always sticks out to me when I talk to Gary, we got into it a bit at the end there. He is the pioneer, one of the pioneers of these early season bowl games, the the, the week one or week zero big matchups between Georgia and Oregon, which he, which he had this year. And those games, those kickoff games are, are a bigger, in some ways, bigger commercial property than the year-end bowl games. And I think that's surprising to a lot of fans. So if there's one thing to take away from this interview, I think, Scott, it is the fact that college football bowl season obviously is a huge deal, but there are people that are building up essentially the same commercial value and, and properties on the front end of the season. And Gary has been a pioneer, a business pioneer in that regard as well. All right, last one of the year. Why don't I put the burden on you? You're, are you prepared to close the show? Oh, boy. Happy uh, happy holidays, folks. Happy New Year. We'll catch you in the new year. He is Scott Soshnick on Twitter at Soshnick. I am Evan Novi Williams on Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. The show is produced by Matt Whitehurst. Thanks to Matt for everything he does. Sportico's digital media editor, Cora Veltman, would like you to know that you can download the Sportacast wherever you get your podcasts. This is, again, the Sportacast, the hub of what is and what will be growing into the Sportico <laughs> Media Network. Happy New Year, everybody. 